Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Understeer podcast and today I'm delighted to be joined by Mike from F1 Fanatics. How are we today Mike? I'm very well thank you mate. Uh, thank you for inviting me on. It's, uh, it's great to be on your podcast that started because obviously uh, we kind of got to know each other by you uh, commenting uh, <laughs> on our videos and uh, it, it's just built from there and I'm, I'm glad to kind of help you out and uh, Hopefully this, uh, lots of people listen to the Understeer podcast. Oh, yeah, it's very kind of you, hopefully, soon. But for anyone who might not know, who's maybe listening to the show and doesn't really know much about F1, um, what do you do in the F1 YouTube community, Mike? Uh, basically, I run the F1 Fanatics uh, YouTube channel. We're basically a fan uh, channel where... Well, we, we do lots of topic videos around F1, have like the F1 Worldwide podcast and everything uh, around that. But it's pretty much daily content on F1. And at the moment with the racing back, which is brilliant to have the racing back. Uh, yeah, we just everything's based around there. So that's pretty much what the channel is. So before we get into the little uh, our topic of the video, we'll be talking about the fall and the rise and fall even of Haas. Uh, let's just have a little chat about the race, if that's okay with you, Mike. Um, no problem at all, I guess. So, obviously, if you put your top three drivers of the... Who you reckon are your top three drivers of Sunday? So, uh, for me, you have to go with Lewis Hamilton at the top. He pretty much drove a flawless weekend, led the race for every lap, apart from when he pitted and Bottas stayed out. Uh, was just basically a dominant performance from Lewis. Uh, Sergio Perez going from 17th to 6th in the end. Obviously, it looked like it might be 4th at one stage, but damaging his front wing with uh, Alex Albon late on meant that he lost 5th to uh, the third driver, which is a mix to me because Lando had a kind of real good couple of last laps Mm -hmm. again to get in the points or Max Verstappen because I think Verstappen actually drove a very good race but I'll, I'll go Lando Norris uh, because he's he's had a fantastic couple of weeks uh, through there so they'll probably be my top three drivers of the day. I think it was interesting that you mentioned Verstappen because I'm not sure if you noticed this but I, I thought he was quite dejected uh, after the race especially sort of in uh, post-race interviews he seemed to be like oh you know championships over kind of attitude i'm not sure if you notice the same thing yeah um i I don't really blame him on that front because he drove the absolute wheels off that red bull to be competitive and he didn't even get a sniff of being close to lewis hamilton other than starting next to him on the grid Mm. he basically zoomed off into the distance and that was the last that max we kind of saw him in a four or five second window for a long part of the race. Uh, when he picked up that front wing damage, he obviously slowed up and then Valtteri Bottas overtook. And it, yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised he feels a bit dejected with things because he's turned up, he's desperate to kind of win that world championship, but the car beneath him again doesn't look like it's going to be able to compete with Mercedes. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, Mercedes are just out out of everyone else's league at the moment. Um, but also, we're looking ahead. I think this should be coming about about on the Friday. Um, so what are your predictions for qualifying uh, for tennis Friday tomorrow and uh, the race on Sunday? Uh, Mercedes 1-2 on the Saturday. Mercedes 1-2 on the <laughs> Sunday <laughs> is probably the easiest one. I can't really see anything past that happening. Max Verstappen, without any kind of technical issues, will probably complete the podium. Uh, I imagine it will be this same kind of some form of combination of the podium that we saw uh, this weekend. And uh, best of the rest, uh, probably going to go with McLaren just because this racing point thing is a little bit. With Renault now protesting. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, obviously at the time of recording, we don't know the outcome of that. I don't know. I, I presume we should know the outcome of it before Hungary. Uh, it would seem weird, do, but yeah. I, I guess they're having a, a a detailed look at things. But yeah, Ricardo as well. Um, he, he's. I, I reckon Ricardo is going to be fighting the McLarens in a round again. Esteban Ocon will be off the pace mm. a little bit, but still kind of learning 
and coming back into the sport. But that was there. And then obviously Williams, Alfa Romeo, Haas will be fighting in their own category. And- <laughs> I thought uh, Ricardo looked at you pretty quick at the beginning until he went on to the softs. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a bit of a, a kind of like a personal vengeance against Ricardo that they didn't let uh, him pass Ocon when they probably should have um, let them push on, but. I don't think so. I just think that Renault aren't a particularly good team when it comes to strategy calls yeah. on that because they're they're a bit like Ferrari in that aspect in terms of I remember a couple of seasons ago Kimi Raikkonen basically on the radio going, "Do you want me to let Seb past?" Because they were umming and ahhing whether they should do it on the pit wall. Mm. I think they would just kind of like take the decision out of hands if Ricardo's quicker he'll get past yeah, him, get but past. they realistically should have let Ocon say get past. Yeah, so let's just um, let's just get started on the uh, Haas conversation, if that's all right with you. Um, no problem at all, I guess. But for anyone who's tuning in to uh, listen to Haas Lola, we will not be talking about uh, that Haas Lola team, we'll be talking about the current Haas team. Did you know there was a Haas Lola team, by the way, in uh, 1985 to 1986? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't realise the Haas association with it. I I knew the Lola uh, association, but I didn't know Haas had some, yeah, uh, links to it. Apparently there is, but um, so obviously they were established. They were actually established by Gene Haas in April 2014. Uh, they originally intended to make their F1 debut at the start of the 2015 season, but then. Um, postponed their entry into the 2016 season. Their headquarters in Canapolis, I don't know how you say that, in North Carolina. And they uh, also they bought, I think it was Caterham's, Caterham's base in Banbury in Oxfordshire um, so they could turn cars around quicker. Actually, was the first ever American, well, inverted commas, constructor uh, to submit an F1 entry after the failed US F1 project in 2010, and the first American team to compete since the unre- the it's, it's actually unrelated the Hasselhoff team I read here. Um, just maybe it has the this the same name, but um, if we look at obviously everyone knows that they don't actually build their own parts. Everyone said that, I remember in the thing was Drive to Survive Season 1, that, you know, how it was so clever that Haas were able to, um, Haas were able to not build their own stuff and be pretty quick, because they, in the beginning, up until about 2018, they sort of came out of nowhere, um, wouldn't you say? Yeah, uh, I think they found a very smart business plan, um, because that's where a lot of teams had failed, obviously, around the 2010 uh, with the budget cap not coming in, the Caterhams, the HRTs, well, the US Grand Prix team not even uh, entering the sport. Uh, yeah, you know the Virgins, Mauritius, Manor Racings, like they mm. just they fed away because they couldn't compete because they tried to construct and it's incredibly expensive to do it. So Haas had found a clever way of within the rules you're allowed to buy a certain amount of parts and they basically bought every part that they could they outsourced the chassis being built by Delara and uh, it, it seemed it seemed a clever strategy that's for sure and obviously at the sort of time uh, before last year they were most of their parts are from Ferrari they are effectively a Ferrari 2.0 but as we've seen this year, the Ferrari teams, Alfa Romeo, Haas, Ferrari, are all looking pretty slow. Um, so when there's a problem with the manufacturer's parts, I think it was one season, was it 2019, they went through two disc brake manufacturers and both of them just didn't work. And they had to get custom ones for themselves. They don't, it's, they don't actually know what's happening with a car when it's going wrong because they're just getting sent the stuff, if you know what I mean. Yeah, they they have a much smaller team, uh, the Haas team, compared to like a Mercedes. So if something goes wrong on the car, they've got less people who can analyse the data. It takes longer to figure out the problem, therefore it goes from there. And also, you, you mentioned it there, Haas is basically Ferrari 2.0. Because they're buying so many parts from Ferrari, uh, they're essentially they're gambling on Ferrari having a good season at the top. 
and you know they they see obviously 2019 and 2020 have started off being poor seasons for Ferrari and they were poor seasons for Haas mm. where 2018 was quite a good season for Ferrari and obviously you know they did notably very well in a uh, 2018 finishing fifth in the constructors so it's the downside to the floor that you have to pick the right team to buy the parts from Uh, otherwise if you don't then you could end up yourself in a very sticky situation yeah I think I'm just going to skip on you mentioned 2018 skip on 2018 then go back to 2016 just to mention something which is quite relevant to the current time which made me laugh is that they were under fire from competitors because I forgot about this um at Barcelona in uh, for winter testing because the car strongly resembled the uh, Ferrari SF70H and you know who the two the two cars uh, two constructors who were criticizing them were McLaren and the other one Force India or Racing Point now who've uh, gone down that route themselves it seems well I, I think yeah that is certainly a very funny thing because uh, yeah, obviously, Racing Point are going through all this controversy of basically copying the W10, but not copying it, but, you know, taking a look at the image and coming up with the parts themselves. Uh, but, yeah, basically, Racing Point have taken that philosophy a little bit further. Everything that Haas have done has been legal within the sport. Um, so, uh, but, it, yeah, the, the irony of it was Force India protesting the team <laughs> is is very funny now looking at today's car. Yeah, so let's go to this first race of the 2016 season. Obviously, we're at Australia. Um, you've got the two teammates, Esteban Gutierrez and Roman Grosjean. Grosjean, even. Um, so in the first race, Grosjean actually managed to finish sixth, uh, scoring eight points for the team and becoming the first American constructed to win points in its first F1 race and the first constructor overall since uh, Toyota Racing in 2002 to record points on its debut. So maybe not the best thing to uh, record points on your debut, uh, seeing as the last person to do it was Toyota. But um, I think it was sad. So Grosjean did well in that race, but I'm not sure if you remember, Gutierrez crashed out in an incident which destroyed um, Alonso's McLaren and caused the race to be temporarily red flagged. So it's quite a... Um, um, a ch- how do you say it? A birth of fire or something, something like that. Yeah, a baptism of fire. I that's think, the one. That's the word. Yeah. Saying that you're, you're trying to go for. But yeah, look, Esteban Gutierrez, in hindsight, wasn't the right guy uh, to go for. He had a very talented junior career. It never quite translated to Formula One. And I, well, this this is something, you know, when I speak to people about Haas, that it, it's something that always comes up. Uh, being an all-American team, they, they kind of missed out an opportunity on getting some good American drivers. Mm. I mean, Alexander Rossi at the time, uh, you know, was let go and he's done very well in IndyCar since yeah. then. Uh, well, actually recently, <laughs> he's he's had the worst luck in the world in IndyCar. But, you, you know, he's a very talented driver. And even if they wanted to go for the experience of Grosjean, uh, bringing that American driver to tap into that market seemed a missed opportunity for him. And Esteban Gutierrez, it, it never really worked out for him in 2016. Uh, yeah, because obviously in 2016, uh, Grosjean picked up all 29 points uh, en route to eighth in the Constructors' Championship. So that was probably, this is probably the peak of Roman Grosjean's uh, career in F1, I would say, to date. Um, but we move on to 2017. Um I think it was in November the team announced that uh, K-Mag would drive alongside Grosjean in 2017, uh, replacing Esteban Gutierrez. Uh, in the very first race of the season again, Australia seems to be quite a good race for Haas. Um, scored his best ever qualifying effort with Grosjean uh, piloting the car to sixth place, I believe. But um, in the race, uh, one of the issues was hampering the performance of Kevin Magnussen uh, I think it was pit was it was that the pit race issue or was that um, it was just the they just had issues apparently uh, in there but um, the second race weekend proved it was better for them Magnussen finished eighth scoring his first point since his tenth place finish and Singapore Grand Prix for McLaren I'm guessing 
and Haas' first points since the 2016 United States Grand Prix. So they had a bit of a points drought at the start of the 2017 um, season. But the team's success would kind of continue into 2017 as Haas would also go on to get their first double points finish. In Monaco, uh, I think Grosjean finished 8th and Magnussen 10th uh, with only the Felipe Massa, I think, was splitting them. But they again, they finished 8th in the Constructors' Championship for the second year running. Um, but they, they were actually 7th, but then Renault overtook them in the final race, in the final few races, which is a bit unlucky for that. Anything to add? I think with the 2017 season and 2016, it was showing steady progress. Obviously, to come in and be <clears throat> eighth in the constructors and be consistently there starting off, not to be last, is a very good start, I mm. think, for it. And in Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean, they did actually, I think, have quite a good driver lineup. And uh, Grosjean beat Magnussen over the course of the 2017 season, but Magnussen still was holding his own and obviously has now gone on to beat Grosjean in the subsequent 2018 and 19 seasons. But uh, I think 2017 was steady progress for Haas, and they they certainly look like one of the more successful recent outfits to join the sport. Definitely. And then we get into the 2018 season, which was um, sort of the peak so far of Haas's, Haas's, uh, in, Haas in the sport, um, F1-wise. And they went back to the sort of white and black livery, uh, the VF18. And, you know, look, coming into winter testing, Haas looked pretty strong. Uh, they showed up in Australia with a pretty competitive car. And they were, again, did a great qualifying with Magnussen 5th and Grosjean 6th. Uh, they were running 4th and 5th positions, which would have been absolutely astounding if they had finished uh, in Haas. But um, both cars retired after... Uh, has started having issues with the pit stops in Australia. Um, I think they both just didn't get the wheels on, if I'm correct, right? Uh, I believe you are so. Definitely on the Grosjean one, and I think it was another wheel issue with Magson as well. But yeah, basically, they were in an incredible situation, and they cocked it up. <laughs> <laughs> to put it simply, uh, they would eventually... They did actually go on to score, I think, fourth and fifth in Austria that year. Um, and they actually, in Austria, surpassed their 2017 points total after only nine races. And then Singapore Grand Prix, uh, Magnussen scored Hass's first ever fastest lap of the race. So they really were pretty quick. And then it was, they were sort of, a, were they ahead of Renault or they were just behind Renault coming to the United States Grand Prix? And I think they what they just just couldn't get there to overtake Renault and get into um, fourth and fifth because I remember at the time there being quite a fierce rivalry between Haas and Renault. Yeah, and I I can't remember exactly what happened at the US Grand Prix, but they've never really done very well at the US Grand Prix, which is obviously their home Grand Prix. Uh, but it was another issue. I think one of the drivers got disqualified uh, in the race. I think it was maybe Grosjean with a floor issue. Uh, that might be Monza that was the floor disqualification. But um, but yeah, basically, uh, it, it didn't turn out well and they, they dropped off and Renault did it. But in fairness, to be competing with a manufacturer like Renault and obviously a works team like Renault, the resources that Renault had, it was an incredibly impressive season uh, for Haas, even despite Roman Grosjean having a crisis of confidence throughout it and showing the kind of... Uh, fragility of what it's like to be an F1 driver in yeah. terms of when you just feel things are stacking up against you. He lost it, and that Austria performance you spoke about was actually a real highlight for Grosjean and it because I think it was the and still is to date the highest uh, finish that Haas have got uh, that fourth position uh, that he managed to get yeah. in. But I, Haas had a very good 2018 season, and I think it's kind of almost forgotten with how 2019 and 2020 look like it's going to go. Mm. But yeah, it was it was a really impressive, incredible season. And from going from three years in the sport, their third season, to be fifth in the constructors in the way that they did it, was very good. Then we move into 2019. And this was the year when, last year, um, when it slightly, they sort of got up the mountain and they started to descend down, uh, hypothetically. 
but uh, they took on Rich Energy as their title sponsor for 2019, which was meant to be a multi-year title sponsorship deal, but um, they were originally Rich Energy linked to um, buying, was it Force India, when they, before they came Racing Point, am I? I think I'm right in saying that. And um, But every, I think everyone knows how that went. Uh, Rich Energy basically faced a load of legal issues, um, and then after the Italian Grand Prix, uh, probably because they couldn't actually afford it, Rich Energy kind of uh, pulled the plug on the sponsorship deal, uh, kind of leaving Haas a bit for dead. Yeah, Rich Energy was a real... Uh, it started off the 2019 season poorly, and it would kind of be the best way to sum up how 2019 works. Uh, they had issues with their car. They started off in Australia again as the quickest car. But then the problem is, like we spoke about, having a small team and buying your parts when they didn't work well or work how they were expected to work. Didn't know what to do. Uh, exactly. All the, it, they really struggled to solve the issue. And the main issue that kind of played Haas through the 2019 season was uh, being able to keep their ties in an optimal uh, window of performance uh, they, they really struggled with tire temperature which luckily they've solved in the 2020 season uh, it sounds like it uh, from then what they've, they've back said to break failures now they, they, ha they have but um, in fairness from reading Kevin Magnussen's report from the race yesterday which is Austria race two it sounded pretty positive for Haas actually because he managed to get P12 in a car that had floor damage mm. so um they're, they're at least moving again in a positive direction. But yeah, 2019 was just uh, the, the whole rich energy situation was awful. Uh, the reliability was horrendous. Like Grosjean had so many retirements that, you know, a lot of people give him stick for, but the, was that the they year, were mechanical failures. Was that the year so he crashed under safety fault. car? In Was that was it 2019 or 2018? He crashed under safety car in Baku. Um, and it was twenty. It was twenty eighteen. Oh right. It, so that one. That's that's the season where he did have a crisis of confidence in there. But twenty nineteen, uh, he wasn't really didn't have any driver faults for re retirements. He was just pretty it awful. Was mainly just. Yeah, exactly. Mainly just mechanical <laughs> issues. And so I think they eventually again they finished ninth, which forced them. Coming into 2019, they would have been hoping to have been challenging Renault again for fourth place. But to finish ninth, that's a real blow. I think that's their worst ever finish, 2019. Um, Grosjean finished um, only above the two Williams, which really isn't that great an achievement, seeing as they only got one point over the whole season. Um, the car, to be fair, coming into the, into the season... Um, and it was kind of a theme throughout the whole season. The car looked pretty quick in qualifying, uh, but lacked race pace, really. Uh, like, in, in Australia, it was pretty good all weekend. I think Magnussen had a very good race. Um, I think Magnussen, like, he qualified really well sort of over the year. I think I've heard them mention about 100 times about how Magnussen got fifth in qualifying in 2019 at the Austrian Grand Prix at Sky. Um, so obviously they just lacked race pace and they couldn't find out the answer as you mentioned because we'll we'll come on to talk about it. They they don't manufacture barely any of their own parts. Yeah, uh, I think they're probably suffering the opposite issue uh, this year, which is probably a better issue to have in terms of their qualifying pace isn't necessarily great, but mm. their race pace looks a lot better. It's just uh, as much as Grosjean wasn't at, at fault for uh, a lot of his retirements last uh, year the brakes were obviously an issue in the first mm. race but their, their race pace is certainly in the hands of kevin magnuson looks a lot better in 2020 and look, it's it's going to be you're a new team coming into the sport you don't buy your own parts you're heavily reliant on those parts and making them work for ferrari and obviously ferrari aren't even able to get their own parts working to a good level at the moment so i you're going to take bumps in the road and 2019 was a massive bump and obviously yeah finishing ninth they're worst in the constructors after finishing fifth they're best in the constructors it, it was probably a massive kind of deflating blow for the team mm, and i'm just going to give a quick couple of interesting things to note if i'm looking at every single Hass um 
result. If I'm looking at the first race of every single season, the first race, if I had Gutierrez retirement in the first in 2016, then double retirement 2017, double retirement 2018, Grosjean retirement 2019, and another double in 2020. So they clearly have issues of getting off the mark. And then last year, I think Grosjean, he got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven DNFs, and he only finished inside the top tens three times. Uh, Magnussen finished, Magnussen only DNF'd um, twice, but then he only still finished inside the top ten four times. So, yes, there's driver reliability, but I think a lot of that shows that the car was pretty slow last year. Yeah, the the car just was awful in 2019 it was one of those it was like Williams and Haas were probably the two teams that were like can 2019 just be uh expunged from our history because it's it it was awful cars for both of them Mm. it really was dreadful first thing I think to talk about or have a little you know sort of kind of weigh up the facts is so we'll look at a bit of the the team principle uh Gunter Steiner. We've all seen that he's become a bit of kind of like a Netflix celebrity after his two kind of starring roles in uh, Drive to Survive season one and season two. I really hope they don't have another episode of season three just about Gunter Steiner. But um, his his style of leadership is interesting to say the least. Like, I think he's quite uh, he he can't go three words without swearing. Um, sort of thing he, he, I think he's quite he's quite firm he, you can tell he's passionate I think but um, do you think that having Gunter Steiner do you think they should replace him uh, do you think they need a new face or do you think he was always the right appointment and uh, he should always be there I, it, it's a difficult one with Gunter because obviously the most we've seen of him is come from the Drive to Survive series <laughs> but you don't see him on a day to day basis you probably only see the worst points of him because that's good tv for or good series stuff for netflix and drive to survive and for me he kind of maybe seems like he's a little too overly emotional for the job in terms of he can be very calm he can be very supportive and yeah very good in one instance and then the other side of it he's swearing blinding (laughs) saying that they can kind of get lost get out of here you can say what and you want it's fine exactly I don't think his driver management has been particularly good uh, he, he hasn't adapted his style to Roman Grosjean because Roman Grosjean pre-joining Haas had actually other than obviously his difficult first year in 2012 yeah. uh, 2013, 14 and 15 were pretty good years for Roman Grosjean on decent. track yeah. Lotus, he looked pretty, I think it was pretty quick then. Yeah, he certainly was. And uh, he, he'd grown into like an experienced member on the grid. And he hasn't found a way to get the best out of Roman Grosjean. And I think he finds a better way of getting the best out of Kevin Magnussen. Mm. But tensions were always going to be high last year because the car was so awful. And they're all competitive people and they don't want to be at the back, basically. So I, I think... Probably this season, where they'll be moderate, they'll probably get to a stage of competing for points, um, and it won't season. be as bad as last year. That'll probably be a better tell of whether Gunter Steiner is the right man for the job. Um, but it is so difficult to tell uh, because we see so little of him, or we know so little about the runnings of uh, the Formula One team. Yeah, um, I think you mentioned drivers. Let's talk about, obviously we mentioned Gutierrez, we can talk about them again, about their driver choices, and you mentioned Rossi. I always feel that Haas have always, their driver changes and their driver renewers have always confused me. Like, if you look at the 2019 season, surely you're looking at getting maybe even like a young driver in for 2020. How is is Roman Grosjean still at that team? I, I, I have no clue, but... Is it? Are they trying to be too loyal with their drivers? Uh, what do you think is the issue? Well, I think loyalty definitely comes into it because of the fact that obviously Roman Grosjean took a massive gamble um, when he left Lotus 
in 2016 to join Haas and it looks like you know that hasn't worked and it's kind of damaged Roman Grosjean's reputation within the sport and more people talk about the 2012 Spa incident than actually the good things that he did in the Lotus car which there are actually quite a few things um I I think they missed out on the opportunity to kind of promote some good American drivers because mm. uh, their philosophy has always been, uh, you know, we we want experienced drivers because they are. It's a difficult team. It's not like a normal team to operate in. Their development feedback from the drivers is so important, mm. and that's probably why Grosjean's still there because he's apparently very good at feedback. Exactly. And, you know, he was vital to helping solve the problems that it, probably a lot of what's been better about the 2020 season has been through the developmental feedback of what Roman Grosjean gives and which I think he's unfairly uh, kind of over given for. At, like, it's forgotten for and mm. everyone's quick to jump Roman Grosjean's back. I can understand why they did stick with him because... Hulkenberg, yeah, he came in, but I think Hulkenberg priced himself out. Clearly, Haas were interested, but Roman Grosjean brings in money. And for a team that, you know, operates on very fine margins, mm. they probably couldn't afford to take a punt on Hulkenberg on big wages. And he may or may not come off as a good driver for them because he'd have to have an, a learning and adaption period for the team because it's completely different to how it would have worked. Uh, Renault and Lotus well, well Renault for him but the thing is for me what I don't really understand is especially last year like obviously Grosjean is good at feedback but if you look at all the seasons Grosjean's been in he's never transformed the car like he, he, he's you might have a different opinion on it but I, I don't really see that he's really transformed any cars art cars all that much but I, I'm not sure what you think I think it's a difficult one to kind of say how much a driver transformed the car. You just have to rely on the people who <laughs> actually work with him, who say that he's very good at helping with development of the car. So we we don't work for Haas. We don't <laughs> we don't really understand the development side of things. If people working for Haas say that he's very good at that, I th think you have to take their word for it. Uh, you know that they, they they're not. They haven't got a gun to their head. <laughs> they're, not gonna, they're not going to go and say. Grosjean. I doubt that. I doubt they'll come and say, "Oh, Roman Grosjean is useless. What is he doing here?" But also silence. Silence, I think, is key on that uh, mm. aspect. In terms of, you wouldn't publicly go your driver, but you don't necessarily need to publicly big up your driver about a skill that he has, unless you genuinely think that he has yeah. that skill. You have a point. Uh, or were they trying to make him feel better? because he keeps crashing. Well, yeah, you, you don't know on that front. Obviously, 2019, he didn't really crash at all. Uh, I think he the team let him down yeah, with the true. car in 2019 because, like I said, a lot of those failures, which a lot of people say Grosjean had an awful 2019 season, where I'd say the car was just awful and it's a bit harsh to kind of judge the bloke on that season. 2018, you can say, obviously, he made a lot of driver errors and that's probably the season you thought Haas might let him go. Uh, but yeah, the, the young drivers, they clearly just don't want to go for a youth and inexperienced policy, whether that changes in the future. But uh, speaking to people, the names who always get brought up, who they probably should have gone for, is Joseph Newgard and Alexander Rossi. Mm. Just go full American on it and seeing how it would have gone with those two. I think if we look at the... I would have thought everyone's seen that, obviously. The signing of Charles Leclerc, uh, Carlos Sainz. If you look at Ferrari, who were previously, you know, sort of people in kind of like the Real Madrid of Formula One, who would just wait for someone to get good and then snap them up effectively. Mm. Um, but I would have thought that obviously they've got such close links to Ferrari. They've obviously got two, well, they've got Delatraz as their test driver and also Pietro Fittipaldi, but I think Delatraz would probably be the better bet out of those two. But they're so close to Ferrari, and Ferrari's driver academy is full of talent. Surely they can just kind of like... I've heard talks of them maybe becoming a Ferrari B team, um, but maybe like have one, sort of like at Alfa Romeo, have a Ferrari seat so that you can say, I don't know, Schumacher, uh, you know, they, they can look at him. 
uh, have him in there for a while and see if Carlos Sainz doesn't work out at Ferrari or Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz fall out, then they can promote him up, if you know what I mean, like sort of the Alpha Tower and Red Bull relationship. Yeah. Um, I, it's a difficult one. I mean, there's a good argument for it. I mean, they turned down Charles Leclerc and I, I think he benefited Alfa Romeo for the season. But then again, look at Alfa Romeo. They're just obviously formerly of Sauber. They have that relationship with Ferrari where one seat is dedicated to a Ferrari junior. Charles Leclerc did all right for them in his first season within Formula One. I wouldn't say he, he had some very good performances. Mm. Uh, on track but you know he's he was a stopgap feel for a, a season Giovinazzi's come in and he's he, he's done all right in times but not me they've benefited from obviously getting Kimi Raikkonen from that relationship but you you, you can definitely see uh, you, you don't really stall Haas still have this kind of I think belief as a team that they want to do something within Formula One they don't want to be there just to be uh, somebody's B team and so that's why I think they turn it down and hey you know if if you've got that philosophy you're not going to go for a young driver who might be there for a year or two before mm. Ferrari snap him up you're going to go you're going to want guys who are committed to your project and making you a better team. I also read I think it was yesterday or the other day that um, Sebastian Vettel possibly linked with Haas but if they turn down Hulkenberg um, because of the wages, surely Vettel's going to be pay- want- demanding a lot higher wages than um, than um, Hulk- Hulkenberg would be. Do you think that a Vettel, a sort of Vettel Magnuson, I'm assuming it would be partner partnership could work out? It would be amazing for Haas. <laughs> It'd be incredible, but I can't see it happening at all just because I. Uh, I don't know if Seb would be that desperate to stay in F1. I think he would rather take a year out and then see if he can get a seat like Alonso has done uh, for 2022. Obviously, Alonso's brought it in for 2021 because I think Seb still has a lot to offer Formula 1. But I think Ferrari relationship really has taken its toll on him. And having a break or maybe going off and racing in IndyCar, WEC for a year hmm. would be something where he can just go and enjoy his driving and then come back to the kind of high pressure environment of Formula One. Definitely. Um, let's kind of talk a bit about possibly Hass's future, where they obviously they want to be winning world championships, but it's probably not an ideal goal at the moment. But do you think that they're just aiming for the 2022 regs, and if that doesn't work out for them, then that's them gone? Probably. Uh, Gene Haas, I don't know whether it was just for dramatic effect, but he doesn't seem all too excited or enthralled by the project. And obviously, I think at the end of Drive Fire Season 2, he was talking about he was obviously considering their future within the sport. They're committed, I think, for the next two seasons. Mm. Um, financially and I, I think they are seeing where they are in 2022 can they be competitive uh, now that the budget caps are coming uh, now that you know it, it's a little bit more prescribed in terms of what you can and can't build racing's meant to be closer do they kind of I, I think a lot of teams are seeing how the 2022 regs go and if it is just Mercedes dominance Mercedes dominance it probably makes no sense to kind of compete because you can't compete with that level of uh, budget and personnel yeah I think uh, I think it'll be really interesting obviously the 22 regs 2022 regs sorry um to see kind of what kind of difference they'll make whether uh, Mercedes will suddenly uh, become bad or pull out the sport or I think the biggest team to struggle will be Ferrari, but because they they their budget is ridiculous. But um, as an avid Ferrari fan, I'm not <laughs> I'm not sure how you take to that. I I think uh, Ferrari. I, well, I don't know. I I don't think their leadership under Bonotto is particularly 
going in the right direction and it takes a strong leadership to get the best out of Ferrari. They've only been, they're the biggest underachievers in the sports history. And yeah, I, I think they may struggle for 2022, but who knows? Um, so I'm going to put you on the spot slightly. If you were, say, Gene Haas and you're in charge of Haas, you got the money and or Gunstein or whatever, you, you kind of want to turn the project around. What would you be doing uh, to turn the Haas project around? I'd maybe be leaving the Ferrari parts behind and maybe looking at uh, building a relationship with someone else. But it's difficult because the Mercedes car seems to have been well and truly gone through there. But maybe Red Bull in some sorts, but I'd expect they'd want juniors to be uh, in place with them for now. So I definitely investigate my opportunities. Um outside of Ferrari uh, to develop, maybe even looking at bringing someone else new into the sport or Renault are desperate probably for people to work with them. Mm. So potentially exploring a Renault partnership. Drivers, I would probably let Grosjean go. I just think, you know, he's had his time and it, it isn't working for him at Haas. I don't think the relationship for both of them has worked out how either of them would have envisioned it working. I'd build my team around Kevin Magnussen and then I'd maybe probably bring in like someone like a Pierre Gasly or a Daniel Kvyat. Mm. And or a Gwen have... Yuzo, I thought, who was quite linked with uh, the Haas seat. I, uh, I'm not sure I would go with Zhao just because of the inexperience. He could probably bring in a lot of backing and financial stuff, but I think Williams have shown... Uh, once you start going down the pay driver route solely for that, obviously Zhao is talented, but so to some extent was Pastor Maldonado. <laughs> um, but you know the guy was the guy was actually very quick. He was just very inconsistent. Uh, where Zhao is a decent driver, he's he, he's kind of a solid driver. I, I, I don't know if he'd set the world alight. If you go with Gasly or Kvyat, I think you've got a very strong, experienced midfield team there that can drive you forward. Definitely. Um, as you say, I think I would definitely be switching up. I'd also, I wouldn't be bringing uh, Benotto into you as the technical director, but I would maybe look uh, look around at options for replacements for Gunsteiner, possibly. Um, to see what kind of difference that may make, um, if you know what I mean. But um, as always, uh, wouldn't be an understeer podcast episode without uh, our 10-question quiz at the end of the round. Um, we started off pretty well. We had, I think, eight, no, sorry, nine for Glenn, who was on the first episode. Then Will got eight, and James got 7.5, uh, I think it was the other day. Um, I think maybe, the, I'm not sure, I had to make them a little bit harder, but uh, how do you think you're going to fare today, Mike? Oh, look, pressure's on. I, <laughs> I never do particularly well on the spot. We'll, we'll see how we go. Nine out of ten, that's that's a that's a tough score. Eight, uh, as long as I'm not up last. If I, if I can get eight beyond kind of in the midfield, I'd, I'd be happy with that. Most of James's questions were on because he's a GT racer. Were on his GT category, so. Um, but um, let's just get into the first question. I've gone for a bit of a sort of niche one uh, here. To the nearest kilometre. So obviously this year marks Ferrari's one thousandth race, and it'll be held at Mugello Circuit. But to the nearest kilometre, how long is the current circuit? Magello? Yeah. Type. Not a Scooby, but I think Types away ferociously. Uh, to the nearest kilometre. I reckon it's probably going to be somewhere between three and four. Uh, four kilometres. Oh, five. It's five. <laughs> I think it's 5.25 or something like that. Oh, dear. It's and, a good start. Anti-stall kicks <laughs> in. Anti-stall. Um, 
I feel like I've been a bit evil with some of these ones, but um, to the nearest tenth of a second, what is the pit stop record set by Red Bull for the fastest pit stop during the 2019 Brazilian Grand Prix? Uh, it was 1.812, so I, I think it was 1.8 seconds would be the yeah. nearest tenth. That's correct, correct, we're away. We're off the mark. I'm happy. This one, <laughs> this is one you should definitely get. If you if you don't get this, then you should delete your YouTube channel. Uh, <laughs> I'm joking, but you should get this. <laughs> At the time of recording, uh, obviously there'll be more by the time this goes out. But how many video uploads are on the F1 Fanatics YouTube channel? No looking at your analytics. Uh oh. Okay, so a year. I said it was. 322 and we've done uh quali live streams and race live streams so i believe it's 324 at the time of recording correct he knows his own he knows his own uh video count get in there <laughs> <laughs> as as a passionate fanboy of this driver you should know this uh question how old is fernando alonso at the moment I believe he's 39. I always get yep. confused whether it's 38 or 39. 39, 39. that's correct. Younger than Kimi Raikkonen. Um, how many wins does Valtteri Bottas have in F1? Oh, good question. Uh, I believe he got four last year. He's got one this year, so that's five. I think he got three in his first season. That's eight. Uh, I'm going to go for nine. Oh, you have it. It was eight. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, that's unlucky. He didn't get any in 2018, did he? I don't think so. In fact, I mean, he had a stonker of a season. Like, he probably could have won the championship last season if it wasn't Valtteri, it's James, let Lewis pass every single race. Um, But, right, we, we talked about this team earlier. I'm giving you a little clue there. But um, which current Formula One team was formed in 2007 and is based in Silverstone? It's formed in 2007, based in Silverstone. Uh, I, is it technically for Cindy slash Racing Point? Yeah, correct. So another sort of a niche question that I thought I put in. Following the release of the My Team Career sort of thing on the F1 game, uh, who was the last owner-driver to win a world championship? Owner-driver? As in, they own the team and they so, drive. Uh, it's between Jack Brabham and Bruce McLaren, I think. So... I believe it's Bruce McLaren. That is correct. I think correct. Well, according to Wiki <laughs> according to Wikipedia anyway. So <laughs> name three Red Bull Academy graduates. Just any three. Just any three. Yep. Uh we'll, we'll go for the ones competing. Daniel Ricardo, uh Daniel Kvyat and Alexander Albon. Yep, you could have said Pierre Gasly as well. I could have done. Could have said Max Verstappen. <laughs> you could have said Sebastian Vettel. <laughs> um, but or Carlos Sainz. Uh, how many races have been held at the Silverstone Circuit? This is a multiple choice one. 71, 74 or 75 races. Oh, so 71, because 74, is, or 75? Because this is going pre-F1, isn't it? Because yeah. I think it's only in the 50s for Formula 1. Uh, so you're, you're talking about Grand Prix held pre-F1, I'm sure. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with 71. 74. Oh, <laughs> unlucky. And another British Grand Prix things that's coming up question. 
Uh, who took pole at last year's British Grand Prix? I feel like this isn't a trick question, but uh, Lewis Hamilton. It's about no, 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 no. Oh, as soon as I said that, I just remembered it was Valtteri Bottas. Oh, oh no. There you go. I, 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 I knew I'd fool myself. These ones have been a bit harder, but uh, that is six out of ten. That's our lowest score so far, unfortunately. Uh, for... Thank you, Fergus. Thanks, Fergus. Everyone has to be at the bottom. I'm glad <laughs> I can take that solid position at the bottom of the leaderboard. Well, I mean, <laughs> as we're going down every single week, then maybe the next person will be scoring five, so... I, I can only hope, Fergus. I can only hope. <laughs> but um, thank you very, very much for coming on. I think it's been a, a very enlightening chat. A good chat. Good fun. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, yeah, ma massively enjoyed it, mate. Thank you for having me on. And make sure, guys, if you're listening to this and you haven't done so already, drop uh, Fergus and the Understeer podcast a subscribe because uh, you're going to listen to more great podcasts. Hopefully you enjoyed this one. <laughs> thank you very, very much. Uh, for that one so as Mike says uh, just drop a little subscribe like uh, tell me about your opinions in house in the comments if you're on Spotify drop a follow I believe if you're on Apple uh, drop a subscribe and Mike if you if you want to find more about F1 Fanatics you can what's your Twitter handle Mike is at Fanatics underscore F1 your Twitch is uh, oh god, that's at uh, F1 Fanatics Gaming, I believe. Your Instagram. That <laughs> you're now testing me. I'm pretty sure it's at Fanatics underscore F1 Mike. And uh, your YouTube is obviously F1 Fanatics. But that is all for today's episode. If you haven't already, please do go and check out my um, most recent one before this one, which was podcast with James Pull. Uh, that was a very also interesting chat about his career, um, his transition between sort of Formula 3 and GT racing and winning the 24 hours of Spa and all that kind of thing. But thank you everyone for listening and uh, goodbye. <laughs>